You know, it used to be that I could go years without visiting my doctor. But surely one of the signs of getting old must be that I go to see my doctor more and more frequently. And it's interesting, every time I go see my doctor, you know, he, he'll ask usually, so what seems to be the problem? And sometimes I think I know what my problems are, and so you know, I'll, I'll tell him, you know, this is what's happening to me. But other times, um, I'm not really sure what my problem is. And the best that I can do is just tell him what I think are important for him to know. And fascinatingly, um, that's never enough for him. He'll usually ask me some follow-up clarifying questions uh, because I think he has wisdom enough to understand that what I suspect my problems may be are not actually the problems that need to be dealt with. And usually, you know, he'll gather all the information, and then he'll prescribe a treatment. And what's so really interesting about that is that the treatment unveils my problem. If, for example, the doctor tells me that I need antibiotics, you know, that makes clear that my problem is an infection. If Again, for example, if the doctor should tell me, you need chemotherapy, of course, it makes clear that the problem is cancer. The treatment unveils the problem. And in this chapter, in Isaiah chapter 61, the heavenly physician is prescribing a treatment. And so we need to ask, but what is he treating? And so we are going to discover that by first noticing the good news is proclaimed. The good news is proclaimed. Notice how the chapter starts out. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so here in this chapter, we are listening to the one uh, one person, an agent of the Lord, who has been anointed by God with the Spirit, and who is at the same time empowered by the Spirit, and he comes and makes proclamation. And also by the same Spirit, this agent of the Lord, he performs a series of corrective actions. And so that's God's treatment, to send a Spirit-anointed, Spirit-empowered agent to both make proclamation, and to perform corrective deeds. And that, that treatment tells us what God is treating. That treatment tells us what our problem is. First of all, our problem is that we do not know what our problem is until the Spirit-anointed message is proclaimed 
to us. You know, it's a lot like me going to see my doctor with a vague sense that something is wrong, but I really don't know until a person with wisdom, skill, and understanding tells me. And so we, likewise, we don't, our problem is that we don't know what our problem is until the Spirit-anointed message is proclaimed to us. And if you remember from last week, Isaiah chapter 60, you know, we, we thought about this a little bit, didn't we? Isaiah chapter 60 said, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And we thought about what is that problem against which the light and the glory of the Lord is an answer. And we thought about how mankind, mankind, we are bound in the misery of darkness until God's light and glory rescues us. And that same thought is continuing in this chapter in that the Spirit-anointed and Spirit-empowered proclamation of the good news is the only thing that can break through the darkness and give us understanding. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have heard the little saying. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And the saying goes, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I have read a little bit of St. Francis of Assisi. I've never come across this saying. And people who have actually studied him say that he hasn't said this or anything like it at all, anywhere. It's just one of those urban myths that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, in which it says, you know, a lot like this day and age, uh, we could say that if there's anything interesting we come across, we could say either Charles Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis said it. You know, they said so many things. That if you just say Spurgeon said it, Lewis said it, they'll never know the difference. It's a little bit like that. They say St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It sounds interesting. And it gives us the impression of saying something profound. But in reality, it indicates actually a very deep misunderstanding. Because we, we can deduce neither our problem nor the solution to our problem by the deeds that we see, whether they are good deeds or bad, evil deeds. And here's the problem. I'm sorry to get a little bit philosophical this morning, but think about it this way. There is a reason why proclamation of the message has such priority in the Bible. Because to see is to interpret reality according to our references, according to our standards, and according to our wisdom. But to hear is to receive the truth from the only one who understands our situation correctly 
and knows what must be done about it. And that is why the proclamation of the message is so central in the Bible and his dealings with people to see it puts the, puts the sovereignty upon sinners because it is the seeing sinner who then interprets what he says according to his own foibles, failures, and standards. But to hear, it is to receive the truth that God proclaims to us. That is why, you know, it, it's actually a very deep misunderstanding and a serious mistake to say, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. We simply don't have the capacity to deduce, yes, to some extent, we can sense that things are radically wrong in this world, but from that, there is no way to deduce that God, the holy God, who has the right to pour out his righteous judgment upon us, that holy God has sacrificed his only son because of his great love for sinners, that he sent his son to suffer humiliation and suffer and die, be crucified and rise from the dead. We cannot deduce that by the deeds that we observe. It's something that is proclaimed to us. And that is why spirit-anointed and spirit-empowered proclamation cannot be substituted and I know I realize that it sounds awfully self-serving for a preacher to say that preaching is really important. But it is. It is essential and it is vital. So that is the first thing we see. The good news is proclaimed because until and unless God speaks to us, until and unless the Spirit-anointed and Spirit-empowered message is proclaimed to us, we lack the basic capacity to understand what our problems are, much less what the solution may be. Secondly, the good news is deeds done, deeds done. So proclamation is essential. But what does it proclaim? First, it proclaims that the Lord, He knows how Completely and pervasively, sin has twisted this world to our great suffering. And it proclaims that the God of compassion will not and cannot stand still. And so we read, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. What is the poverty that is spoken of here, and who are the poor? Now, it is true that we have to understand poverty in a spiritual sense, and it is those people who realize they are helpless and without resources to meet their spiritual challenges. And certainly, poverty here has a spiritual sense, but I would also say it also has physical sense as well. You know, the entire Bible speaks too much and too often about God's compassion for the poor, physically poor, to simply spiritualize this and dismiss this and say this is only spiritual poverty. Rather, poverty is one indication of how 
radically and pervasively this world has been twisted out of God's order. Because poverty is often the cause and the result of oppression, and often the poor are silenced. And God looks at poverty. He looks at the poor, suffering people, and he grieves. And secondly, God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And this brokenhearted uh, expression, it's, it's a very all-encompassing expression, and it includes every kind of misery that we experience. Yes, the misery and the darkness that we experience because of our sin, but the misery and the sorrow and pain that we experience because we live in a world that is harsh, a world that is broken, and a world that is turned upside down. Our hearts are broken in so many different ways. And God looks at our broken hearts, and he is moved to compassion. And God cannot endure it. And so he is sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And of course, this had the immediate and historical interest to the Babylonian captives. You know, it fit their present situation so exactly. But it also has wider application, doesn't it? It speaks to those who are experiencing any kind of spiritual bondage. You know, addiction is a form of spiritual bondage. But it also speaks to captives, literal captives in prison, especially people who are imprisoned because of injustice. They have been imprisoned unjustly. God knows well how far this world is from what it ought to be. Economically, in the enforcement and practice of the law, emotionally, in every conceivable way that we experience life, there is fall, there is damage, there is chaos, there is darkness. And God cannot stand, and he cannot simply watch. And so what will God do? Who is this spirit-anointed and empowered messenger who proclaims the word and performs the deed? It is Jesus. And of course, it was obvious from the very beginning, wasn't it? The word Messiah, it's a Hebrew word that literally means anointed. The word Christ, it's Christ, it's a Greek word. It has the same meaning, anointed. So if we ask, who is this spirit-anointed and spirit-empowered messenger through whom God proclaims the good news and performs and accomplishes good news, it is Jesus and if you look at Luke chapter 4, you see there how Jesus conquers over his temptations. And in chapter 4, verse 14, we read, 
Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And after his temptation, he launches into his public ministry in the power of the Spirit. So his very first act of public ministry, we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we read, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now let me stop right here and make some parenthetical remarks. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to really develop this, but I'll just make a comment and move on. As was his custom, as it was Jesus' custom, something that he did with regularity as a, a discipline, as a settled pattern of his life, Jesus went to the synagogue to learn God's word. And how can it be that anyone who proclaims to follow Jesus not do that? to make it a custom and a pattern of life, to regularly present ourselves and to receive the teaching of God's Word. It was his custom. But let me move on. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and guess what? He opened up Isaiah chapter 61, our chapter today. And Jesus reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus goes on and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So that answers the question, doesn't it? Who is the Spirit-anointed, the Spirit-empowered agent of the Lord who comes to proclaim and to accomplish the deeds of the gospel? It is Jesus. Jesus is God's prescription for our condition. And that tells us something, that we are by nature blind to our spiritual illness and until, unless, the message of Jesus is proclaimed to us, we will never understand and we will never find a way out. That is why preaching was Jesus' main ministry. I know that we are often more fascinated with the signs and miracles in the New Testament. But actually, if we look carefully Signs and miracles were rare even for Jesus. And signs and miracles served to authenticate his word. And the signs and miracles were actually not the centerpiece of his ministry, but proclaiming God's word was. Because it is through Jesus that God proclaims the world lost in sin. And it is through Jesus God proclaims salvation. And because Jesus is God's prescription for us, we realize that we are also without resources to answer our predicament. So Jesus is both the proclaimer 
and he is the proclaimed message. He declares, and he accomplishes. Jesus rescues us from all misery, as we understand misery spiritually. And Jesus will rescue us from all misery in every way that we experience misery in everyday life. How? Jesus rescues us from sin through his death, through his resurrection, and he gives us a new heart, and he makes us right with the Father. That's how Jesus rescues us from spiritual misery. But also, Jesus will also heal and restore the world to its proper order and free us from sin's curse and effect. And that brings us to the last point. The good news is joy. The good news is joy. Now, the rest of Isaiah chapter 61, which uh, we don't have the time to really look in detail, but it's accurate to summarize the rest of Isaiah chapter 61 as the proclamation of the reconciling and healing ministry of Jesus to grant them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their Lord. And so what we read in the rest of chapter 61 is the radical reversal and setting right of the world that has been twisted beyond its recognition. And as Jesus comes to rescue sinners and remake the world in righteousness, all that has brought us shame, grief, sorrow, they disappear. And this is so important because I think we all know this. Life's many suffering has the effect of shriveling our hope. We, we suffer. We live with so many difficulties, pain. And because of that, we stop dreaming. And we convince ourselves to be satisfied with less because, you know, we're almost afraid that if we hope too much in God, we will be disappointed. And we begin to accept as normal what is abnormal. And we become resigned to the brokenness, the pain of the world. And that is what fear does. But now, we have to let the good news Make us stand up straight and sing with hope. And so this chapter ends with 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. God has dressed us beautifully, but as the saying saying goes, uh, what for? Are we all dressed up with no place to go? Oh, no, that is not the case at all. God has dressed us in the beautiful robe of righteousness. He has taken off the filth, the, the shame, the stain of sin has put upon us the, the beauty, the glory, the righteousness of Jesus so that we may enter into the healed and the renewed world where sorrow turns to joy and tears disappear. You see, God redeemed us so that we may experience new creation, new heavens, and new earth. That is to say, you and I, we are dressed for joy and for honor. So loved ones, lift your head up high and wipe that gloom of your face. Sing, rejoice, because God will set all things right. Injustice will be no more. Darkness will disappear. Tears will stop flowing. And in their place, there will be rejoicing. There will be singing. How do we know this? We know this because our Savior, He is true, and He is faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that that you show us so clearly that you are the God of compassion. For you understand not only the burden, the weight of our sin, and you have released us from that through the death and the resurrection of your Son. But you also understand the great toil, the pain with which we live, the disappointment, the sorrow, and you have also removed them from us in the death and the resurrection of your Son. So as Redeemed and healed people, we look forward to the new creation and we pray. Oh God, please help us that we may not despair and, and, and stumble in sorrow and exhaustion. But uphold us, strengthen us, that we may rejoice in the hope of glory. So Lord, please sustain your children empower them and encourage them. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.